All right, I'm going to read two passages for you today. Um, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 is the first one, and the second one is 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. All right, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12, 13. <laughs> I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or, and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And then 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and that we can come together to study your word and learn your truths. I pray that you would help us to listen and to, and to just hear and know what you would have to say for us today. Um, just be with Josh as he brings this message that you would give him um, the words that we need to hear, and I thank you that uh, we can come to your word and study and learn more about you. I pray that as we go through this day and this week, that whatever we do would be for your glory and your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, I am pondering why God decided this was the crowd that needed to hear this. Um, and so, and also, this is a pretty heavy concept in some ways, although I hope to kind of walk through it, especially the passage we read, kind of heavy, um, and, and I sort of limited it down, but obviously this is what, um, you know, this is what we need to hear. Um, so, let me, let me kind of give you... This reminder, we sort of have a background of where we've been going. We've been talking about who we should be or who we are, who we want to be as Redeemer Baptist Church. And so we talked about being in this together and we talked about membership. Uh, that was our first Sunday this month. We, were, uh, we are God's community. We talked about being God-focused and all the elements that go along with that in Acts 2 as we see the early church. We also talked about uh, last week we are witnesses and welcomers. We are those who are going out. We should be those who are going out. And we are those who are welcoming in people who want to, uh, want to follow Christ. And we should expect that to be true. We should be welcomers who are ready to welcome others in. Um, and so those are all true of us, 
And then this week, I think it's important for us as we begin to think about how we are called to be a holy people. We're called to be an accountable people. And so um, that's, that's sort of the, the idea that will lead us into, uh, into the passages and into our discussion this morning. Now, like in previous weeks, um, I, I am going to ask you to write some things down. You'll get to see my artwork again this week, so I don't know if that excites you or it makes you say, ah, whatever. Uh, but um, we'll, we'll kind of sketch some things out. Kids, I have a question for you. Now, I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw a circle. And the question is this, is this a blue circle? Okay, see how simple it is? I'm going to draw a circle, you tell me if it's blue. All right. Is that a blue circle? I don't know if you can see the colors and the lights make everything weird. Sorry. I don't have a red. Yeah. Oh, so it's got blue in it, but it's hard to say if it's a blue circle. What if I do this? What if I change it? Now, is it a blue circle? No. no. There's blue? Okay, let me try one more. Now, that one's easy, right? Is that a blue circle? Yeah? Okay, so we're okay with that. To be um, truly described as a, a blue circle, this one is like blue and black. This one is Black with some blue. We tend to change the order for the amount. Um, but if we were to say, I'm drawing a blue circle, this is the only one that really works for that. To talk about there being one color, just blue. There has to be only one color if we're doing that. Even if we add just something else, it just confuses the whole thing. Now, God's people are the same. We, uh, to, we will not be perfect, but if we are God's people, we need to do everything we can to be a holy people, a, a people who follows God faithfully. We should be like the blue circle is all blue. We should be a holy people who are all holy. That's, it seems pretty simple. But this, in this morning, we're going to talk about how complicated some of that can be and how do we get to that. And so we're going to talk about being accountable to one another, uh, how we are responsible um, to one another and also how we share our lives with one another within the church and why that's important. We're going to talk about all of that. So I want you to ask your parents this maybe over lunch or at some point, maybe ask them how they are accountable. That's a big word I know. Accountable to other people, to other believers. Ask, him, ask them what they have in their life that helps them to follow God faithfully and who they have in their life who helps them to follow God faithfully and be holy. That's what your task is today. So um, I, I went through our list of the things we've been talking about. Let me go back to this one. And we, we're kind of looking through the early church, 
Although today we read the Corinthians passages, and there's a reason for that. I was thinking through the early church and the things that are important to them and things that are important to us as we begin church together, and I came to Acts 5, and I think Acts chapter 5 is really, really important. We see uh, in the end of Acts 4, we have Barnabas and others doing exactly what we saw all the way back in Acts 2, where they were selling property they had, and they were supporting God's people and the needs they had. They were helping um, where there were needs within the community. Awesome. In Acts chapter 4, at the end of it, we're seeing that same thing happen. Barnabas does it, sells some property, takes the money to the church, uh, offers it, and they take care of needs. Awesome. And then chapter 5 comes. And we meet two people, a, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they agree to sell some land. They're going to be like Barnabas and do the same thing, except that when they sell their land, they take the money and they put some of it aside in their pocket or they do something they want with it and then they take the rest of it to the, uh, to the community to meet needs. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. They could do that. That would be fine. Here's the thing, though. They said, we sold our land. This is everything. We are giving everything to God's people. They kept some of it back. They donate the rest but they tell everybody they've given everything. Let me read just the end of that passage. It's in Acts chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. This is the very end of that passage. Um, Ananias has already kind of had his turn. Uh, Peter says to her, to Sapphira, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So this couple lies, they're found out, and then they die. This is a disturbing story. Think about how this was um, for somebody reading the book of Acts and like, oh, hey, we're the early church. Let's see how things really began. We're going to be just like that. They get to this story and say, whoa, wait a second. This is a disturbing story. It should be disturbing to us. It's meant to be. Luke wrote Acts and wants us to see that how we act in community matters to God. There's no place for sin or deception among God's people. And with that said, I'm not suggesting that God has struck down everyone who has ever lied in the church I'm not saying that's true. That might have happened again. We don't know if this was singular occurrence or what. Um, we just don't know. But the foundational truth here is really, really important for us as we begin walking in life and church together in this community. The end of the story, um, God's people, the church, fear for their holiness as God's people. They fear that they might go against God's desire for their community and they want to be faithful. That's where this ends. And that's good. This is the foundational truth for our passage today. So here's sort of just the foundational piece. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. It's a serious thing. And so if you want to scribble that down or put that down, I'm going to even draw a picture of sin. This is where you're going to see my artistic ability. You ready? All right. 
Yeah, there you go. See that? That's sin. Sin's a mess. Kind of looks like a snake this time, but it's a mess. And so sin is a mess. I can't overstate the seriousness of how um, of the story that we saw in, in Acts. Like, sin led to people's death. I don't claim to know about Ananias and Sapphira individually. If they trusted in the saving work of Jesus, even in this, then they were taken to be with God in eternity. As individuals, uh, we should seek to live holy lives, but we can't do this on our own. We'll just, we'll begin to let things slide. We will, uh, we're not strong enough to face temptation. With the few guys, or with some of the guys that came on Wednesday night, we had a study, we're beginning the book of Mark, and we saw where Jesus goes off, and in fact not goes off, like wanders off or gets lost. He is sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. God moves Jesus into the wilderness, and there he's tempted in everything. And he does not give in. I can't speak for you, but for me... Although I guess I can speak for you because the Bible does. But you and I don't face sin that way. We don't end in that place where Jesus walks away having faithfully um, done or um, faced temptation and been faithful. We struggle to do that. We need help. You need help. I need help. We know this. And if we're honest... Uh, we know that we're not going to be good enough on our own. We won't be like Jesus. That's why it's so shocking that Jesus faced all of that and was faithful. In our church's distinctives page on the website, under the heading, We Conform to the Bible, the very last line I think is significant. We ended by stating that we here at Redeemer Baptist Church desire to be faithful and challenge our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable to lives that model the Bible's truth. Not only do we want to follow the Bible, there's a mechanism that helps us to follow what we find in the Bible, and that is um, each other. This matters. We are given the community of God's people to help us as we seek to be faithful to God in every way. In every way. Individually, we seek to be accountable so that we will be faithful. But like so much of the early church record uh, that we see in the book of Acts, Acts, uh, like Acts 2 is actually about the community more than it was about any single individual. Um, Acts Acts chapter 5 is really about the community as well. It's not really about Ananias and Sapphira and even Peter necessarily, but it's about God's community. It's about God miraculously purifying his people by removing the sin that has crept in. The idea of corporate accountability or group accountability leads us to the Corinthian passages that we read earlier. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing the church who has an individual who is living in such a way that even people outside the church are shocked. They see it as scandalous. And I don't want to dwell on the particular sin this morning, but to be clear, this man has a relationship with his mother-in-law. Or ex-mother-in-law, or his father died, we don't know. We just don't know the backstory. Luke, or not, not sorry, another L, Leviticus, much earlier in the Bible, Leviticus 18.8 uh, specifically forbids this exact kind of relationship in God's people. And Paul suggests that even this is a shocking relationship to people outside of the church. But the sin isn't the point. At least not my point this morning. For some reason, the church in Corinth has allowed this sin to go on 
without confronting the situation. They let it happen. They let it go. And Paul even suggests in verse 2 that members of the church uh, of, of, sorry, the First Corinthians passage, that members of the church are arrogant or even maybe proud of this situation. In, Paul, uh, in verse 6 through 8, Paul compares the church to new unleavened bread dough. I don't know if we know a whole lot about that. Uh, but in the first century, yeast wasn't like, wasn't very common. It wasn't like we would do now where we get a little packet and you activate the, none of that was common. People who ra- wanted raised bread would leave some dough and let it ferment and they would save it from last week. And then this week they would bring that fermented dough and they begin to mix it in. That was the leavening for their bread. Its effect would spread throughout the dough. And Paul's point is that this is what sin does in a community. If we allow it to remain, sin will spread throughout the whole community. And it's important that we deal with that because if we don't, it will spread. Kids, I have another question for you today. I know I don't always do that, but do any of you have younger brothers and sisters or a brother or sister? A younger brother or sister. Okay, Nathaniel's excluded. We got a couple that don't, but everyone else, what do you do when you are building with blocks? Have you ever built a tower with blocks and your younger brother or sister is at that age? There's a special age where you love knocking down towers. Have you ever built a tower and your brother or sister came over and just knocked it over and you didn't want them to? Does that ever happen? How do you stop that from happening? How do you keep your tower from getting knocked over? It's only us. It's really, I feel weird standing this far away from you. Yeah, what do you do? You just quit playing. That's one option. The other option is, of course, you get your brother and sister and either distract them. Here, look at this toy over here. And you get them to go somewhere else. Or you call mommy or daddy and say, hey, come, they're doing it. Take them away or whatever. You get them away from that thing, right? The same is true with God's people. If we want us to, uh, we, we should be separating our people, us, from sin. This is, uh, we want to remove sin. We want to remove the temptation, maybe. I guess the blocks, knocking blocks over is a temptation for a little one. Um, but we want to remove that from our lives and from our community. So if sin is serious and we need accountability, we should ask the question, well, what is accountability? So here's the first truth for today. Accountability separates God's people from sin. Just like that younger sibling and your tower separating them is better this is the same uh in our in our world like as we see sin is a mess and we want to be a holy people what do we do we need to separate people from sin so here i'm going to draw you your picture i'll make him smile just for Actually, yeah, yeah. So here's the point. I need to explain it because it looks like the man's running to sin. But no, I'm explaining that the sin is going away from the man. We are separating. We could do it this way. They are moving apart from each other. We're separating um, people from sin. We need to remove sin. And to do that, we need somebody else to help us, to watch over us. 
This is, all, this is also why we don't like accountability, because it requires someone else. I didn't realize how small my person is. It'll work. All right, so it requires someone else to be involved in our lives and to look into our lives, and um, it makes us nervous. What are they going to think if they discover who we are? What are they going to think if they see that sin I know exists? What do they think if they're going to find sin that I actually am not even paying attention to? I didn't even know it exists. How will I feel in that? We don't love accountability for those reasons, but we need it for those reasons. Our culture tells us, be your own person. You do you. Don't apologize for who you are, but Christianity doesn't allow that at all. Following God is not about discovering who you are. It's about conforming your life to who God made you to be. Christianity begins in admitting that you fail. We all need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Shouldn't be shocked to find sin in a Christian's life. By being a Christian, we admit that up front. That's the whole point. The authentic Christian life is about owning up to your own sin and seeking to change. And the only way that change can truly happen is through the power of God in your life. That's completely true. We seek out sin in our individual lives and we remove it. And when we change uh, and this happens, case closed. It's great. Praise God. Sometimes we need one another to help us to do that, to help us to discover sin, to help us to realize what's happening, or to help us to be bold enough to change. We seek out sin in our lives and we remove it like this. As a community of God's people, we should do the exact same thing. Find sin out of love. Help people to remove that sin in their lives because they're a part of our holy community. When we change, when they change, when the sin is gone, it's finished. Praise God. That's what we want. That's what it's about. We're a holy people because we are seeking and removing sin from us. It's a journey. And God is praised in it. But sometimes... We will find sin in our community and we'll confront someone with it and they will not change. What do we do if somebody refuses to change? In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking specifically about the man who is not living very well. Paul tells the community in verse 2, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Obviously, this man won't change. So he's uh, asking him to be removed. Paul further instructs them in verse 5, Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Those are really strong words, by the way. And then Paul, Paul's clearest comment comes in verse 11. Uh, he says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Apparently, Paul thinks this Corinthian man has been confronted and is in the categories of not following Jesus, at least in his life. And he is um, not changing. Why would somebody not change? I don't know. But we're called to change as God's people. I'll get to that in a moment. But also, um, why would they allow it? Paul is actually writing to the church and saying, why are you allowing this? Why would you do this? Commentators and scholars debate this since it really doesn't say. Maybe the whole community is corrupt, but I kind of doubt that. It's possible. Or maybe this man has lots of authority in the community. Maybe he's some big person. Or maybe he has lots of money to give to the church. 
And so they're allowing something to go without dealing with it. Maybe he's just a very likable guy. Everybody likes him. We all know about this. But everybody li- we don't know. what. They- or maybe he's just a big name in the community. Maybe his family is influential. Whatever it is, the church did not act. And Paul challenges them in this, tells them to send the man out of the church. Because we are a holy people. In fact, this is, this is my next point. Accountability preserves the holiness of God's people. You see, in the same way that we must preserve, um, in the same way that we must preserve holiness in our own lives, we must do this in God's community as well. We'll not find ourselves to be perfect, uh, and we will always be striving to do better. So, so we find sin, we confront it to preserve our holiness. So, I'm going to try to draw the picture of that. All right, and what are we trying to do? We're trying to, like, just like this one, remove the sin from our community. But sometimes, um, we refuse. Sometimes there is someone who actually Sometimes there are those who will not change. At the end of, um, at the end of verse 7, Paul finishes his illustration about the unleavened dough needing uh, the leavening or the, the fermented dough pulled away from it, cut out of it. And he tells the church in Corinth to cut out the leaven or the sin, whether it's the actions or the person doing the actions who will not change. And then he transitions to focus on the holiness of God's people. He says, as you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. He means the Passover. That's what he's talking about. Not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's saying that we are made holy by the sacrifice given for us who is Jesus. Only Jesus lived perfectly before God. He was then killed, and his death paid the price you owed for your sin. He paid the price I owe for my sin. And without this punish, or this payment, we'll receive the payment that actually is due us for our sin, which Romans says is death. If we don't have Jesus' death and payment for us, we will receive death. But Jesus paid that price. He did it for you. All you must do is accept his perfect life and sacrifice of his life in exchange for yours. You must offer him your failure, your struggle, your guilt. But along with that come your dreams and your hopes for your future. You have to let him be in charge of all of it. If you do this, you'll live with a desire to follow Jesus and to live as he designed. You'll want to be like him. You'll want to live in a holy way. You'll find sin and rebellion in your life. And when you do, you'll remove it. You'll join with God's people in the church and live in a holy community together. And where you find sin and things, you will remove that sin. You want to be holy. 
It's amazing and it's a wonderful thing. It's exactly what we're referencing in our website as well on the distinctest page. I don't know why my mind keeps going there, but it does. Uh, under the heading, we radiate grace. There are three sections to it. And the first reads this. Part one, we are redeemed by the sacrifice of our Redeemer Jesus. This good news unifies our group and underlines all that we do. We come together because we are saved by Jesus. Second part says we are honest. The message of God's good news to us begins in our failure. We cannot live up to God's standard. We all need Jesus because we all meet Jesus with this continual need. We are therefore free to be honest with each other. Honest people admit their brokenness, sinfulness. We ask forgiveness and we invite accountability. See, we, had, we should admit that sin exists. We seek to live by God's standards, but we admit that we are failing at that, and that reality causes us to admit that we don't have it all together. Our lives are not perfect, even though we're working for that. We fail. We ask forgiveness from God and from others, and because of this, we willingly ask others to be a part of our lives, to look into all those details, to be there with us, and to live life with us, because we know that they will help us to change. We ask for accountability. And finally, in that same section on our distinctive page, the third paragraph, we extend grace. Repentance and grace preserve the unity of a community of broken people. We are not perfect, but, we uh, but when we fail, we seek reconciliation and extend grace as it has been extended to us. See, we know ourselves to be a holy people. We seek holiness but fail, and when we fail, we seek to change ourselves and to reconcile with one another. When someone comes to us seeking that reconciliation, we forgive. That's what we should be. That's how we should act. That's what we want to be. See, there's a huge truth behind accountability. Accountability casts sin out. And even individuals who will not change from sin casts them out. But it does it for a reason. And the reason is accountability loves the sinner. The point is love. In 1 Corinthians 5, 5, we see Paul tell the church, Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But I stopped there before. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's hope is still that this man will be saved. His life will be Christ's. Paul says, kick that man out so that he'll be saved. There's actually love in it. If there isn't, we're doing it wrong. This man is loved. From the removal of the man in Paul's first letter, let's change and shift to the second letter to the Corinthians. To the same church, look at verse 6. Paul says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Chapter 2 of, sorry, 2 Corinthians. For, the, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Paul talks of the communal punishment of this one person. We don't know what that is exactly. We can assume that the person is experiencing something like we see in 1 Corinthians, uh, at least what Paul's telling them to do. Uh, it could even be the same first man. I've, I've heard people connect these two. The one, remove him if he will not change. But now it's saying, there's this man that you have removed, maybe. But he seems to be different. 
Paul's instructions are very different. The important thing is the accountability, uh, the accountable community removes sin and removes people who sin, but when that person realizes their error and strives again to follow Christ, we need to act like we see Paul instructing the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2 to do as well. Paul says, turn to forgive and comfort this man or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. This is our goal in accountability. See, our goal is not just that we remove the sin, but that in our love, if the man goes with it, if a person goes with it, we remove them. Our hope is that our love overwhelms them and that God's love overwhelms them and they are... drawn back back into the circle back into the community that's what we want what the church needs to do is to be ready to confront sin in our lives in the lives of others because we love each person that god has created in his image and when that image bearer seeks to live a life in line with his um with that image we should rejoice we don't want to hold people out as we begin to wrap this up, don't miss the practical point Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 2.11. Division is the tool of the devil. This is why we need to discipline people and cast out people who claim to follow Jesus but show that they don't follow Jesus. By definition, Christian means following Jesus. But re- remaining divided from other people who are following Jesus and show themselves to be following is also a tool of the devil. Christians struggle sometimes to forgive. We struggle to extend grace. That's divisive. That limits our effectiveness as God's people. We should be a holy community. We should welcome those who are living and striving for that. So, first, we should see the seriousness of sin. In Acts 2, the people died because of the seriousness of sin. Today, people die because of sin too. So let's be faithful and remove sin from our own lives. Let's be accountable to one another in uh, in our commitment to follow Jesus. Let's admit our failures and forgive and seek forgiveness from one another. Let's let our commitment to holiness, our focus on following God, be the identity of our community here at Redeemer Baptist Church. Let's be a holy people. So what do we do with this? I mean, we can look at this diagram, if you can remember what I was trying to illustrate with my awesome artistic ability. Sin is serious. So are you seeking to follow God in your life? Maybe you've never trusted in Him, and that is where it all begins. If that's you, speak with me after the service. Let's talk. Ask questions. Find out what Jesus did for you. Let me share that with you. But maybe you follow Jesus, um, then, then where are you failing? Maybe you want to follow Jesus, but you're struggling. Who can you ask to hold you accountable to following God's ways? Even this week, I was uh, challenged again and, and convicted about some thoughts and some ideas that, um, or just some things in life, and thought, you know what? I need to talk to, um, to this guy, Richard, who I have become friends with over time. And I just said, hey, 
I just, I want you to ask me these questions. I want you to hold me accountable so that I would be a holy person. Who are you having, who is in your life like that? Second, are you part of community? Hopefully you are. Uh, you are all members or at least families here. Um, are we accountable to one another? Are we willing to let each other into our lives? Be transparent. That's what we should be. Third, are you uh, ready to hold others accountable? Are you inviting accountability into your own life? And it might cause you to have to open up. But that's how we find holy community. That's how we preserve holy community. We need one another. We need to walk this life together with one another. Let's figure out how to do that together. Let me pray for us. God, we need you. We need you to help us to be the holy people you have made us to be. We need you to help us to discover how to follow you faithfully. God, we need you. We know it's only in your power that we can change. Be the people that you call us to be. But also, God, we thank you that you've given us each other. Help us to get past ourselves. Maybe how we think about ourselves. Maybe how we worry about what somebody else would think of us. God, help us to move past that, to see your holiness as the goal. That we would be faithful. Others would look into our lives and find those dark places that we have, that we could change them together. God, help us as we, uh, as we do that, that as we see things in other people's lives, help us to be loving and gentle and encouraging as they seek to be holy as well. And God, when we are on the other side of offensive things, God, help us to forgive. God, we need your help to forgive. Help us to be your people. Help us to be a holy people. Help us to be a community that by its existence is a witness to your power in our lives and in this world and in Canton, Missouri. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.